podcast. For those who gamble, knowing the odds is key. Putting money in blindly without assessing risk versus reward is a guaranteed long-run loser. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series of a glorious grace, generosity, and grace with the first part of a message entitled Grace, Generosity, and Faith, which covers Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 19. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. I'm going to invite you now, if you will, to pray with me as we get into the teaching of God's Word. Our Father, I know that even this day, as uh, this message is in two weeks, uh, part one today, I pray that though this is a lot of introduction to a text that's so powerful, I would pray that you would prepare our hearts for what we're going to do this week, not just our giving, but our looking at this text before I exposit it here. Lord, would you open our hearts this week? Would you do something really special? Would you use this day right now for our seeking friends that are among us? And certainly those of us that are your followers. Show us this thing of faith. And allow us, Father, to read our hearts well and find new faith that we've never had before. Grant it, we pray, particularly through this powerful table that we conclude with. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to look up faith just in any dictionary, you'd come to something very similar to this. It would be trust or confidence in someone or something. That's what faith is. It's trust. I'm going to be using the term faith walking. Walking to use a term for living. It's a way we live. We live by faith as Christians. And that's a criticism that many of us as Christians take from a world of skepticism around us. It says, yeah, it's your faith thing. It's just faith. I had a a call a week or so ago. It was someone who had met with someone that I have been working with spiritually. And This person had asked me a long time as a favor to him, would I meet with his friend and such and such and so and so as a young guy in his late 20s and and, uh, I didn't know him at all and I said, well, does he want to meet with me? Because I don't know anything about his background or situation. I said, does he want to meet with me? And he said, well, yeah, he does. I, I think he really does. And said, would you call him and ask him to meet with you? I said, no. If he wants to meet with me, he'll call me. That's the way I can help know does he want to meet. If he's an issue. So anyway, all that was clear. I waited probably two months later, and I get a, I get a, a request or a text from him. I said, feel free to have him text me. And so he texted me and said, I'm so-and-so, and such-such, would you meet with me? And so we set up a time over text. I said, fine. I meet him, a delightful, brilliant young man. And so we sit down together. And, and as we sit down, we exchanged a few hellos and so forth, and then there was this kind of awkward pause and silence as we stared at each other. <laughs> I'm waiting for him to begin. He's waiting for me to begin. And then I finally said, well, I'm just curious, what would you, how can I help you? He said, well, I was told that you wanted to talk to me. <laughs> I said, is that what you heard? 
which I'm not convinced that's the way it really, but whether or not, I said, well, no, 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 no. I said, I just said I was available to meet with you if I could help you. And he said, well, you need to know this. I'm an atheist. I said, really? I said, well, it'll be a very enjoyable time if, if that be the case because I love talking to atheists. I, I said, in fact, I've met with a number of atheists through the years. And I have to say, I may be wrong, but in all of my encounters, as far as I remember, I don't think I ever left an encounter with someone who said they were an atheist where I was convinced they were an atheist. This will be one more to kind of check and find out how I, I'd love to hear a little bit about your thinking. So we started our talking. First of all, he said, and by the way, I don't have any problems or needs, like I'm not, I don't need peace and I don't need purpose. I use those two words. And I go, some of you laugh because you know that's often what I talk about. And I said, well, I said, then I'm not sure why you'd be here. I wouldn't come meet with a stranger if, if I didn't need anything. But, but he'd say, oh, well, let's talk. And I said, well, I, I'm just curious. You say you're an atheist. Can I ask you a question? Sure. I said, I claim to be a Christian. That means I have a belief in God. I'm a theist. Do you think it's possible for me to prove to you that there is a God? I knew his answer. He said, no way in this world. And I said, you're exactly right. There's not one thing I could even imagine to say to prove to you there's a God. I cannot prove there's a God. Or you could tell a sense of, of, you know, enjoyment and hear me say that. But then I asked him, I said, let me ask you, can you prove to me there is no God? He looked at me and he goes, no. I said, you really can't, can you? I said, the truth of it is, I can't prove he is. You can't prove he isn't. So you know what you and I are both doing? We're making decisions in life based on beliefs we cannot prove. You know what that's called? That's called faith. I have faith. You have faith. We both have faith. We just put our faith in something different than the other. It was a really enjoyable time, you know, and us talking and discussing and so forth. But it was interesting. When we finished, he looked at me and he said, you know what? I'm not an atheist. I'm an agnostic. <laughs> I said, I thought so. <laughs> I say all of that to tell you this. Folks, it is all about faith. Faith is for all of us. You seekers that are here. You're living by faith. Those of us that are Christians, what are we doing? We're living by faith, every one of us. It's a faith deal. What we believe to be true, it, it, it's all faith. You know what that says? That says that you and I, seeker or Christian, every one of us are gamblers. You know that? We gamble every day of our life. We're making big, big, big bets about life. And I have no problem being a gambler. I just want to be a smart gambler. And so I would, I would say we're gambling about two things. All of us here are gambling about this one. We're asking the question that God, is it, does he exist? I, I've got to take a gamble on he does or he doesn't exist. Number two, the question is, 
is this God, and this would be for us that are Christians, well, is this God that we do believe in, we're convinced he does exist, well, now let's ask this question. Is he trustworthy? Can you trust that God? Good question. All goes back to faith. I give this advice to all of us. I'd say this, you're going to gamble one way or the other. But I would, number one, I would consider the odds of winning the bet. Do your homework. Do you think you're going to win this bet by believing in a God, or are you going to win the bet by believing there is no God? But then I would go one step further, and I would do this. I would consider what are the gains and the losses of winning or losing that bet. I did a little exercise personally. I took a piece of paper, and I did this. I said, I'm going to write down. I did this in my study. I said, I'm going to write down what I gain and what I lose if I win the bet that God is trustworthy and that he exists. And then I'm going to write, what do I lose if I find out that he's not trustworthy? What am I going to lose in not believing in God or not believing that he is trustworthy? And I'll tell you what, if you do that little exercise, I think you're going to be shocked. And you're going to say, I'm not sure I'm a good betting man or woman. I'm, I may be betting against the odds here. I don't know. I may be making a, a very foolish decision in the bet that I'm making. I don't know. That's what everybody has to decide. But I'll tell you, it gets back to faith. So Christian, our, our question is this. Can God be trusted? To what degree can he be trusted? Do I believe he's fully trustworthy? Partially? Why would I believe it? We're making bets by the way we make decisions every day. Well, let's, let's, let's make our bet consistent with what we think the odds really would be. So here's what we have to, it comes down to something very practical. Here's one, Christian. We say that God is trustworthy. Are we going to bet on that? How about this? When your dearest loved one dies, who is a Christian, claims to be a Christian, Tell me, are you going to trust God that one day you're going to see that person again and be reunited? There's an incredible number of Christians that are holding on to that like big time. Oh, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. And they find great peace and joy as a result of it. They made a choice according to a bet they've made. It's a faith bet. How about our own personal lives when we die? You know, if we say he's not trustworthy, we're going to walk right to our grave, scared to death. Well, what's going to happen to me now? Because, you know, I think there may be a, there is, a, I don't know, oh my goodness. No, we, we say, I, I trust God for that. How about this one? Will God really take care of me? Does he take care of his people? And by the way, if you're asking the question, is he trustworthy, that's what if was all about. I bet 75% of the questions came in to say, how can God be trustworthy with the pain and suffering and so forth of life? It's a valid question. It has an answer. That's why we have ifs. But the truth of it is, we've got to consider all things and then say, is he or is he not trustworthy? And then this is what happens. We begin to logic about certain things in our faith experience. And we start logically thinking this, this, and this, and we see that God's Word that we said we believe in goes a totally different direction. And then we have to make a choice. Am I going to, am I going to embrace my logic, or am I going to embrace 
what God has promised. And then I have to ask, well, is he, is he trustworthy or not? And sometimes I think we as Christians, we get a little confused here. Because we would say about a promise of God, do we believe that God promised that? We'd say, yeah, I believe that. Do you think he's trustworthy? Yeah. And then we make choices that go totally against what we say God says and what we think him to be as a trustworthy God. Particularly regarding our financial choices. You know that's true. Do you know this is not just my saying, not my observation. Statistically, it is a very, very, very small percent of all Christians who claim to be real Christians who would ever follow what God says about their finances and say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll tithe from my first fruits. Sure, that's what God's Word says. I know God says it, but, but we go, well, I don't know. That's, my logic says something really, really different. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend my time reminding you of God's promises, and then I want to challenge you. I really want to challenge. I want to urge us all to make right decisions. Now, I'm going to say something that you can challenge. If you don't know me, how would you, even, how would you ever know? But I'm telling you this, I represent the leadership of this church. I and we are talking about this because we want something for you, not something from you. If you've got in your mind, oh, this is a fundraiser week, you're wrong. This is a faith raiser week. We want to raise faith, and that's where we get blessed. If we can say God is trustworthy, sometimes we just need somebody to help us, encourage us, have faith to make the choices in what we actually believe we should be betting on. But we're not often betting the way we believe. And I'll say this to you, if any of you are here and, and you're suspicious of, of the motive of what we're doing in this place, I'll, I'll invite you. I've done this many times through the years. You listen carefully, you follow, and then you give your money to a different church. Find a ministry somewhere you, you I think it's, you give it somewhere else. Because, folks, we need this so badly. So unapologetically, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge this whole family to a faith walk as relates to our finances. I want to do so. I'm going to do so for three reasons. One and two are going to be based on observations. So it's really part of a long introduction of a message that I can't give in one week. I'm giving it in two weeks. So the first two are just simple parts of, of a continued you know, introduction. Then we're going to get to number three next week. But I'm going to have you self-study, and I'm going to have you hopefully self-discover before I break open God's Word in the text that I'm going to leave you with. So let me hit the first two, and then we're going to come to the table together. The first two is simply this. There is a certain kind of spiritual growth that comes only as a result of the adventure of giving motivated by grace. I'm going to suggest there are four common ways, or causes, I should say, of spiritual growth, what God uses to grow us up spiritually. Now, every one of these have to be understood based on what I've taught earlier in the series of grace, that in Romans 5, we are introduced by Jesus, if you remember, we're introduced, we're carried or escorted into the grace in which we stand, and I use a circle to illustrate that, as if there's a circle of grace. It's only as I understand my standing in grace and appropriate God's goodness to us, as we've already taught, it is in this 
that we can say these four become great means of growth. If someone is a Christian but does not understand the grace in which they stand and they're not living by grace as we've been teaching what that is, then these four are not means of growth. We just experience them but not as a growth means. Number one, I would put not in any order but pain and loss. Pain and loss. That's why all these questions at if. Well, what about this? And why would God let this pain? And so forth and so on. Of course, we have to understand as Christians that God did not design this world for us to be sinners in. But because of our sin and our choice to do so, we live in a broken world that does bring pain and loss. But the goodness of God says, you're going to go through pain and loss because of the consequences of mankind and our sin. But I'll say this. The good news is taught throughout the Bible is he uses the very thing that hurts the most to give us the very thing we need and ultimately want the most. That's great. That's the goodness of God to do that. So there's pain and loss. Number two, there's use of spiritual gifts. That's a God-given ability placed within every Christian at spiritual birth to have some unique capacity to be used of God in his kingdom, to build his kingdom in an appropriate way. It, it just awes me that there's so many Christians that you could talk to and say, hey, what's your spiritual gift? They say, what'd you say? What's your spiritual gift? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's a God-given ability. I don't know. I don't know what that would be. And, and why? More of us don't take the opportunity to, to as Christians, to, to go to our class or classes other places or go online and study the gifts and find out, okay, what is my gift? I want to find that out. But spiritual gifts just cause us to grow up. That's why we press serving others. It's just amazing what it does for us as well. Thirdly, personal disciplines. God uses personal disciplines. The table is a discipline. The reading of the Word of God is a discipline. The, the prayer is a discipline. There are all kinds of things. But those things aren't going to help if you're not doing it in the circle of grace, as I often call it. And then the fourth is generous giving. Do you know for... This is the 12th time we've done one of these multiple year giving times. And over these 40 years, Carolyn, my story is that God has used giving in one of the most significant ways of our growth. If you've come to membership class, membership class here, you'll hear me spend 30 minutes telling story after story of God increasing our faith through our finances and what he's done through that. The reality is, is that it really becomes the blessing when the duty that God says, this is what I would have you to do, becomes delight. And you know what takes us from duty to delight? It's worship. I love what Caleb said last week as I was in the 9 o'clock and heard him teach. And he said, we will sacrifice for that to which we worship. That is true. I'm a living illustration Worship is something where we make something too valuable. We need it in order to be happy. Well, I'm a, I'm a borderline. I'm, I fight it. That's, why, that's the only reason I'm borderline. Otherwise, I'm an extreme worshiper of sports. I love sports. Always have loved sports. Love to do them. Love to watch them. Love to anything. And so, let me tell you, I will sacrifice time and money Whatever it is, if it's something that I used to be tennis, when I had to quit playing tennis, I took up golf. Now it's golf. It's watching college football. It's, it's the things that I go, oh, man. 
How many times have I been asked, can you do something? And I, and I shouldn't. And I go, no, I, I really shouldn't because that's Saturday night and I have to teach on Saturday night, you know, afterwards. I need to prepare and think and so forth. And I don't need to probably do that, you know, uh, on Saturday evening. And, and that's valid and right. How about when Alabama plays LSU at 8 o'clock? <laughs> For some reason, I sacrificed. I can make it. Why? Unfortunately, it's, it's, it's that edge of wor worship. You know, I move into this worship thing. I have to constantly say, you know, Carol and I have talked about it numerous times about how we, you know, just let's think through this thing. I know when Carol shared this story, and I've shared it in membership since, back years ago, when we were renting a home we owned a home, which was the only money that we had in terms of our savings. That was it for us, and we were renting from the church. And we really both felt that God would have us to give the home in our all-in at that time, back years ago. And when I shared the idea with Carol, she started crying. And I know she would be willing, but it would have been duty. And I shared what happened over the next hour or so where duty turned to delight. And it became an incredible tool to take us to greater growth in our faith. I think many of you know what I'm talking about. I hear of it often. Let's look at number two. Here's a second reason that I unapologetically want to challenge all of us because periodic or without periodic encounters with God regarding our financial faith walk, we tend to revert back to sight walking. We do. It's this whole idea, as I've often used of our hands, a disease several of my friends have that the fingers just begin to curl up over time, and they have to go to surgery, and they cut the tendons, and they release, they heal, and then they can use them, but over time, they, they come back. That's the story of my heart. Carol and I would tell you that. Over time, we get complacent, and all of a sudden, we start, oh, I need, 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 I want, 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 I need, 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 and then we do one of these things, and we go, oh, no, it's coming again. Surgery's painful, but oh, how good it is to get those hands opened back up. That's why I've said over and over, I hope this church, when I'm long gone, never building a building perhaps again, that's okay. But keep doing this because we need it. If it's 100% given away, we need it. God uses it. It's a story of Asa in First Chronicles 14 through 16, I'm not going to take the time to, to read it and teach it, take too long, but it, here's the basic story. It, it's, this principle is true in all of life, finances and otherwise. Asa, the king of Judah, and, and he was a faithful king initially, and, and God sent a prophet and said to him, hey, you know, you're about to be attacked by these, this army twice your size, and, and, uh, but look, don't, do, don't go to the world's thinking on this one. God says he will deliver you. You will win. And you know what he did? He did what what the prophet said. He listened to God and had this incredible victory and lived with the spoils for years. 20 years go by without a challenge, not a significant one, until the horizon is now filled with armies coming in. He says, I'm, a, I'm dead unless I go against God's ways and go to the pagan world and not the followers of God. And I say, let's unite, let's become allies, and then we can, we can whip these people. And God sends a second prophet comes to him and says, don't do that. You'll win. You fight. But logic said we can't win. It can't happen. But you know what? He put the prophet in prison. He made his allies. And read the rest of the story. 
disaster, total disaster to his death. You know, the reality is, is that our logic says we're better off if we keep our portion. Our logic says, you know, uh, it's best if I don't listen to promptings because that becomes uncomfortable. It's, I'll be happier spending than giving. I'll be more secure by, uh, by saving it all instead of giving a portion that I should. It's just, that's the way we think. And God comes along and he says, hey, church, faith, do it differently. Don't look at the horizon and see the storms that are coming. Don't do that. Just, I want you to do this. Trust in what I say. And then that's where we have to make a bet and we have to choose based on what we think the best bet is. Do I trust God or do I not? It doesn't mean there's not going to be fear as the army approaches. No, not at all. But he says, I want you to act and make a choice based on that faith. So the question to complete this second piece, and that is, when's the last time that you and I had an opportunity to attempt something that we believe to be of God, we really believe it, that if God didn't show up, man, we'd be in big, big trouble. That's the description of faith walking. And it's not always comfortable, but it is exciting. And to watch what God does. But I wouldn't do it if I didn't think through the bet and say, I'm banking on him being trustworthy. But by the way, if you say he's not trustworthy for this, I think your hope in the trustworthiness of seeing a loved one or your own life in heaven is equally, is equally to this in jeopardy because it means that our, our God's not trustworthy if we're correct. No, no, no. Let's, let's bet. Let's bet smart. The third point we're going to cover next week, but I'm going to give you an assignment now, and then we'll go to the table. I'll read it first. It says this, God's provision for his people is in part connected to their financial faith walk. It is. I'm going to give you the text of Philippians 4, 10 through 19. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take that text and to read it. And I'd like for you to read it with the outline that I'm going to use next week that's in very small print on the backside of your, of your uh, insert there, of the outline. And these are the four things that you're going to see. That first, God has given a promissory note. You can look that up. I'll explain it next week. Guaranteeing he will meet the needs of all Christians who qualify, which means not all qualify. Number two, the believers who qualify for this provision are those who use, whose use of life and resources reflect a theocratic, that's theos is God, uh, 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 Theocentric, it should say. That's just theocratic. A theocentric generosity. Theocentric, centered on God, a generosity. Number three, God's riches and glory in Christ Jesus is the collateral upon which his promise is made. And then lastly, God's promissory note will never be redeemed without a demonstration of faith. So you're going to get to verse 19, and you're going to say, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then we're going to have to say, God, are you trustworthy? Can I believe that or not? If we say no, we're going to go one direction. If we say yes, it's going to take us a, a faith walk. And I'd like to invite you through the table now to take a faith walk. Do you know that Jesus, the night that he took this table and actually gave it to us, do you know it was a preparing for his own death? You know, every time a Christian comes, we prepare to die. 
I'm not talking about physically. We prepare to die to ourself, even as he prepared to die for us. This is the story of the bread and the drink, which is to represent his body and his blood. That without, we have no hope. That's why we believe what we believe. It's why we think he is trustworthy. It's on that basis. Communion is a primary means of grace, means it is a means by which grace, not, we're already, we stand in full grace, but it's appropriated to us as we take the table. Very important. It's designed to enhance our faith. The table tells God's side of the story of his covenant love for his people. So it's screaming at us, I love you, I love you, I love you. I died for you. This is how much you can trust me. I died for you. Why would you trust me for everything? And it's designed to compel us, his followers, to keep our side, our side of the covenant that we've made with him. You know what that says? Lord, I'll follow. I'll recall the cross even as I hold the elements. I might have to relive the anguish as I do so as I think about the past, what he did for me. But I want to recommit my vow to follow. And in light of that, the specific application is to pray as we hold the elements. Would you simply pray this, God, it is my pledge of intention this week to listen to you about my faith walk and finances. And I want to follow. And whatever I sense that you are telling me, to whatever degree the faith stretches me, that's where I want to go. Please take me to that place. That's the best choice we could ever make. Always leads to blessing. So, as we come to the table, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask as the table is being prepared that you and I may prepare our hearts even as we pray together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we now ask you to Show us your presence in a special way as we, as we take this table. I pray that as we hold the element that we hold, as we take the element we take, that this might be a few minutes where we're able to just honestly share with you the challenge that we have to believe and to trust you, that you are trustworthy. But Lord, as Christians, we do, we do say we trust you. We do. We know you exist. We wouldn't be a Christian if you didn't. And therefore, we're just going to ask you to apply faith now, deep-rooted faith, that we might be able to follow whatever you lead. Grant that, we pray. Give us courage to open our hands and clarity to hear your voice. And we ask forgiveness for anything that would hinder us from those things right now. And we ask it in the great name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. The Lord, he took the elements... And he gave them to his people. You know, this is for his people. Who are his people? It's those that are true followers of Christ, but who have been affirmed as such by the authority of the church. Not necessarily this church, but some church somewhere. If you're not a, an active member of a church and in, in, in good relationship with a church, and, and obviously, certainly through the Lord, then, then don't take the table. The, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 11, that that we eat and drink judgment to ourselves. We don't want to do that. So I'm going to invite you to just sit there and use this time to talk to the Lord about the things we've just thought about. Think about them. Just sit and think. 
But those of us that are followers, we're going to take the table. But I want you to know when you see us taking the table, it does not mean, oh, I follow without fault. In fact, if you think that's where you need to be to take the table, then no one would take the table. All we're saying when we take the table is, Lord, I'm fighting. And I may not be winning constantly, but I'm fighting the faith to follow you. And I need strength to do so. Let me have this. So please, come to the table. Don't feel you can't because you struggle. Think, I got to because I do struggle. And see if he doesn't meet you in a special way. We're going to do it in a stack cup format, the top cup. You can take the bread as quickly as you choose. But we're going to hold the drink until I come up to conclude this. At that time, we'll take it together. But the Lord said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take, enjoy the table now. The Lord said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take and then let's pray once again. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the fact that you've given us so much evidence that we, that we make our bet on you and we seem to not ever regret it. And thank you for that. I pray, Father, that you might work now in our hearts. May this be a special week in the life of this church, but particularly in each of our individual hearts. Work deeply, we pray, and we thank you for your great work on the cross that gives us everything we need. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.